welcome to The Truth Will Not Be Silenced, the show that allows people to be seen, to be heard, and to be human. I'm your host, Melissa Woodfork-White. In today's episode, we will talk about the immigration experience, part one, with my husband, Nathan White. Sharing our stories allows us to be seen, to be heard, and to be human. There'll be a surprise at the end of the show. Be sure to listen all the way through for the details. Our very special guest today is my husband, Nathan White, who is happily married to his loving wife, me. Nathan is a transportation director. He was born and raised in England. He is a proud graduate of the Forest Hill Boys School in London, Sinton College in London, and Birmingham University in Birmingham. Nathan holds multiple certifications in logistics and transportation supply chain worldwide. He has over 32 years in the workforce, bringing forth his expertise in business and logistics. He is the co-founder and owner of White Warehouse Connection, LLC, providing the best business and education products and services. Nathan is going to share with us about the immigration experience, part one. Hi, Nathan. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Melissa. Thanks for having me on this program. Good morning, everybody. All right. So let's go ahead and jump right in. As an immigrant living in the United States, what is the difference in your work experience between the European Union and the United States? That would be opportunities. The opportunities in the United States are vast. They're everywhere. Every state has a lot of job opportunities. You are basically falling over yourself. They're falling into your lap. You don't have to look for the jobs. They're there. You just, everywhere you look, there's jobs, 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 recruitment. It's endless. The, no matter what field you're in, you're going to find a job anywhere in the United States. It's like no place I have ever been to in the world where job opportunities exist. It really is a just minefield of jobs. It's, pl it's plentiful. And how is it in the European Union? In the European Union, it's on a lot smaller scale. Um, because of the different countries involved in the European Union, they have headquarters, basically a main headquarters in one location in each country. They don't, it's not like the United States where you have each state has a major location or major operating center. Because I'm from road transportation, so I'm talking about my specific field where it is not the same as it is in the US. It, it's just a lot smaller scale, less opportunities. Um, it's not driven the same way the US takes care of the business side of things. It's just a lot bigger in the United States and a lot smaller in the European Union. Can you give us an example, like for instance, with our postal service and our, um, what do you call it? Uh, transportation service services to deliver packages right if we're talking about dhl you talk about ups uh you talk about fedex the united states postal service the united states postal service they're huge yeah they're absolutely massive i mean it's hard to describe how and they're one they in each state yeah there's one in each state Versus to where you were yeah, just talking yeah, about right. in the European you, Union, you would only have, have one in each yeah, country. You'll have a major headquarters in one country. You'll have one headquarters in the country. In the United States, you have a major headquarters in every single state. Plus, 
everybody around the world knows FedEx, UPS, okay? They know of these companies, they're all over the globe. They're US companies, they're everywhere. In the European Union, in the country you're in, you'll have one headquarters. It's just completely different. Plus the scope and the scale of the operation is a lot bigger in the US, it is huge. So as you've shared with us, there's a lot more opportunities, a vast majority of jobs available in the United States in every state. And it's just done on a bigger scale, meaning you have headquarters for every major um, transportation, mail outlet in every major state versus as in the European Union, you're just going to have one in each country. And the countries can be a many, the countries are of many different sizes, but you only have one major one in each country. So with that being said, how does the Brie exit or how did the Brie exit affect your work experience between the U the EU and the United States? Can you explain to us the Brie exit? Because we lived there during the time when they started the Brie exit. It wasn't completed till after we had moved back to the United States. So how does the how did the Brie exit, the BRICS exit, you'll say it. Right. Brexit. <laughs> Brexit affects your experience between your work experience between the EU and the US. Right. Let me explain Brexit in the European Union form of things. Um, Brexit came about because people in the United Kingdom, I would have to say born people in the United Kingdom, wanted to take back control of their sovereign nation. They wanted to have full control of who came into the country, who worked in the country, and all the rules and regulations regarding the United Kingdom. That's basically what Brexit, how it came about. And before um, Brie exit, you guys were a part of the European Union, right? Yes. And the European has their, explain that to us. Right. The European Union, the United Kingdom was a part of the European Union. It had 28 member states, which the United Kingdom was one. Um, when the United Kingdom left, they became 27 member states. And when Britain left in 2000, 2016, um, the people of... Uh, did they leave in 2016 or did they start the process? Because during the course of the Brie exit, did you not have two prime ministers? Well, yeah, they changed. They like... Wasn't it Change two or three yeah, before was, you actually a, be complete? Yeah, and didn't it start it with was, like Theresa May? Uh, Theresa May, no. The referendum about Britex started with David Cameron. It didn't start with Theresa May. Wow. Okay. David Cameron and then, then came along Theresa May mm -hmm. and Boris Johnson finished it. There you basically. go. So, um, yeah, it, the process itself, when it came to fruition, what the British people got, what they thought they were going to get, those were the the leavers. You had leavers and you had remainers. Mm -hmm. The leavers, what we found, um, didn't get what they thought they were going to get. They thought they were going to get full control mm -hmm. of rules and regulations. However, a lot of the old EU regulations still remained especially talking from the profession that I'm in, like road transport, um, those EU rules remain the same. So they 
Exactly the same. So they didn't get full control. No, they didn't they change. They went in with the expectation that they were going to get full control. And during the negotiations over the course of three prime ministers, they didn't get full control. No. So how did that affect work experience? So now that England has left the EU and there are limited things still there, can they? Can people from England freely just go over into other countries, or is there a process now? Well, there is a process because that wasn't there before. No, that's right. The, the process. So, with the European Union, they had freedom of movement. That's right. But not being a member of the European movement, they no longer have the freedom of movement. So, what would be the process in the work experience? Right. Um, it's the same on both sides. For instance, if someone from the United Kingdom wanted to work in Germany, France, the Netherlands, Spain, Italy. It wouldn't really matter before. You just up sticks, find somewhere to live, you purchase a house, whatever, and you live there. You'll probably find a job that would accommodate somewhere, would accommodate your language, not everywhere. But somewhere, whether you'd find a professional, if it may be your professional, may not be, you'd find something that would accommodate your particular language. However, for both sides of the coin, the European Union and the United Kingdom, if you now leave the United Kingdom and say, like, you used to move to France, you need rights to live now. You need some sort of visa to stay in France. You can't just up sticks and stay in France like you did before. You now need to have some sort of visa to work and live there, right? You need to have some immigration rights to stay there permanently. Also, the language now comes into question. Whereas before you could just up sticks and, you know, live well, there. Well, that would be the difference between the EU and the United States versus in the United States, we have one language and 50 states and territories, yes. and everybody speaks English, Correct. versus as in the European Union, you have multiple countries of multiple different languages. Correct. And therefore, for instance, go ahead, honey. Yeah, so if I was to move to France, one of the criteria for the immigration process and the work process, you will be tested if you can speak French. Mm -hmm. You will be tested if you can speak French. Okay, it's it's different if you're going in a capacity in a government role as an ambassador or of something of that nature where you have an embassy, you will just speak your own language and it's not a problem. But now you have to prove to that nation that you are a valuable entity and can give them something, right, that they need and that that country wants. And one of them is you need to be able to be fluent in the language that you, in the language of that country you are now going to. It's no longer an option just, you know, go over there and we'll make do and learn it through the back door or whatever and take your time with it. No, you need to have it before you can get over it. Another example, if he was to move to Germany, you would have to be able to speak German. If you were to move to Italy, you'd have to be able to speak Italian. If you was to move to Greece, you'd have to be able to speak Greek. If you was to move to Spain, you'd have to be able to speak Spanish. If you was to move to Poland, you'd have to be able to speak Polish. So as you can see, there are other considerations that now take 
differences between yeah, the U.S. Right. and the yeah. European Union and being able to work and reside in another country. That's right. And so, therefore, in the European Union, if you go to a different country or a different language, you'd have to learn how to speak their language in order to work and reside there. And it's a big difference now because whereas when the United Kingdom was a part of the European Union, they just could freely do it. They didn't have to speak their language. They didn't have to do because they were a part of the European Union. But now that they have exited the European Union, they have the differences that now things that weren't in place before, they have to do that. Or things that were in place before they became a part of the European Union is, you can say that too. And so with that being said, in the United States. Well, in the United States, it's, if I was to compare the two, the immigration process to live and work in um, uh, the United States is, is a very big process. It involves a lot of time, a lot of paperwork, um, very severe scrutiny of the person or the immigrant coming in to live into the country. You could, it can take a, it can take a number of years to be honest for the process, depending on where you're going, to be fulfilled. There's many ways you can come and live and work in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, most. People I know of, they're either, they end up in the United States due to going to a college out here, university, or they're either married to somebody, or they're, yep, yeah, or they're, there's, there's other means and other aspects. They may be on a temporary works visa. Mm-hmm. Say, for instance, if you work with a film crew, you could be based out here for three to four to five to six months. So you need an immigration status in order for you to even enter the United States, period. You cannot enter the United States without some sort of immigration status. I would also say that if you're like you immigrated from England to the United States, you already spoke English. And so with that being said, uh, you didn't have to take that test. Versus if a person was immigrating from another country that was not an English speaking country, they would have to take the English test because they would be required to speak English. Wasn't that a part of the process too, honey? Just refresh my memory because we went through it. Right. Um, yeah, they they do ask you um, what languages you can speak. And um, if English is probably not your strong point, you may be required to do a test of some of some type in order to establish your proficiency in English in order to you know come and work in the United States because the the federal language in the US is English. And so also with that being said, when we went through the process, um the our process was a little bit different, but it was kind of straight to, through the point, it did take a few years, but it was consistent and straight to the point where whatever it is that they asked you for, we were able to provide it and bring it in. So it made the process a little bit smoother versus someone who doesn't have all of their documentation and everything together. And they're coming into the United States to work or to live or, you know, to reside. Yeah, that, that, that is correct. Um, it's always best to have all your paperwork available. Always, what the, what you're asked for, make sure you have. Mm-hmm. 
because that's going to slow up your process. It really is. For us, I had everything. You, you, you know, you realistically, if you're moving to the United States of America from any EU country, remember, you're already in your country of birth. You should have everything available. If you don't have everything available, it's kind of questionable. So you really need to have all your paperwork, your the documents they are for, you need to have them in order. And they will ask you and tell you when they want to receive them. It's a process. You don't send everything at once. They tell you what they need and when they need it. Yeah. And I'll, and thank you so much. I have to catch myself because this is my honey. So with that being said, how does sharing your story today help others? Well, it will help others to realize um, there are processes. If you want to, um, uh, as an immigrant, the, the difference is the there is a big process. Um, and if I'm going to talk on the aspects of work, so for instance, you have to be able to be open-minded and you've got to um, kind of adapt very, very quickly to the country that you're coming into, the United States. You've got to adapt. There's different rules and regulations even to the to the um, small things like driving a car in the United Kingdom, the steering wheel is on a different side compared to the U.S. You know, so you guys drive on the right yes. side, and the U.S. drives so on the left that. side. So you have to be able to adapt yes. and and um, make that change as quick as possible, as quickly as possible. I mean, for an example, when you do. I did my, I had to do another driving test in the US and I've been driving for years. That was a, I had to do, do a, you know, I had to do a driving test. To make sure that to you make could sure, drive. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I had to study. I had On to study. On the left side of the road versus the right that's side. That's right. And I had to study a, a book from the motor vehicles divisions about the rules. Uh, mm. The speed limits are different. Mm. You know, the things like in the US, it's called the interstate. In the UK, it's a motorway. There's different terminologies for the same thing. Where in the US, you have to use the US ones. Mm -hmm. As you're going to find people different look at signs, different, different signs. Different, yeah. There's, there's different everything. And the other thing I've noticed, the US tend to be more towards automation in their vehicle. Mm -hmm. Whereas and in the United Kingdom, it's, it's, it's stick shit, as they call manual yeah. stick shit. Whereas, yeah, there, there, there's differences. Um, but you but it's have so to, important yes. of being able to adapt yes. to those work differences yes. in another country other than yes. your own. That's right. Well, thank you so much for joining us and sharing with us the Immigration Experience Part 1. Tell everybody how they can contact you. Or do you want me to do it, honey? Uh, if you can do it. <laughs> and so why we're Health Connection, that's our country. Uh, I'm sorry, that's our company. So why um, you can contact Nathan at White Warehouse Connection LLC at www.whitewarehouseconnectionllc.com. You can also contact him at info, I'm sorry, info at whitewarehouseconnectionllc.com. Thank you so much for joining us, Nathan. Thank you for having me, Melissa. Thank you, everybody. Next week, we'll continue to discuss and have conversations about real experiences, personal and professional. Be sure to tune in next week for the Immigration Experience Part 2, where Nathan will be coming back 
to give us the part two to the conclusion of this short series. Stories that need to be shared, seen, and heard that makes us human. The truth will not be silenced, to be seen, to be heard, to be human. The surprise, you can run our channel membership to get exclusive access to members only badges, emoji, and perks. You can also purchase super chats and super stickers to connect with us doing live chat to highlight your message and to see a digital or animated image. Be sure to visit our store and to make a purchase. Follow in the link in the show notes. Let's Buzzsprout know we sent you and help support our show. Buzzsprout is the best way to launch a professional podcast. Want to ask a question, be a guest, or subscribe to this podcast, The Truth Will Not Be Silenced? Click on the show link. Thank you for joining us.